Um, like I say, derbies are always special. I played in a few Liverpool Everton derbies, and and they are special. The kind of um, most of the time they're not the greatest games to play, and they're quite uh, heated. And there's a lot of like like the Burnley game was. I mean. It was no different than a Liverpool Everton Darwin, I'm sure. I mean, I've never played in the Glasgow, but I'm sure the boss would tell you it's very similar to that. And um, it was uh, it, it was nice. It's up it's up there in my top five. I must admit, it's it's crept into the top five of my favourite games I've played. In. Fingers crossed, massively here. But has there ever been? A, a derby game where both sides have been first and second in the league before? The answer is no. <laughs> Hi, I'm Matt Janssen, and you're listening to the BRFCS podcast. This is a BRFCS podcast sponsored by the lovely people at the Terrace Store. Follow them on Twitter at The Terrace Life and check out their website at theterracestore.com. This is a piece written by Ian Herbert for 4,000 Holes, paying tribute to a Rovers manager who delivered the first success in his lifetime, Gordon Lee. In the midst of the Norfolk Broads is a market town called Wroxham, often referred to as the capital of the Broads. It is something of a hub for those enjoying a boating holiday in the vicinity. Almost every retail outlet in the place is owned and operated by a company called Roy's, as if in tribute to Mr Hodgson himself. It was Wroxham FC that in 2012 generated a pub quiz staple by persuading a then 39-year-old Chris Sutton to come out of retirement to feature in a solitary game, coming on as a substitute to play alongside his son, himself a goalkeeping substitute. It was also in Wroxham, back in the fledgling summer of 1975, that a then 11-year-old boy first learned that the manager of his Blue Lopid team had quit to join Newcastle United. This would not be the last time that such an eventuality would occur in his lifetime but it was a shock and a massive disappointment all the same. The predicament would deteriorate even further as the manager soon returned to Ewood and signed two of Rovers' best players for his new club. The memory of Gordon Lee is inevitably tarnished by the haste at which he departed after winning a divisional title, but if we can forgive Kenny, then Gordon is also due some latitude. The 1974-75 side was the first whiff of success that Rovers had given me. Almost as soon as I started supporting Rovers, a relegation to the third tier ensued, and despite the revolutionary approach of Ken Furphy, the road back to the second division was proving to be troublesome, laden as it was with potholes and diversions. Lee had been recruited from Port Vale in January 1974, and he used the rest of the 1973-74 season to assess the resources at his disposal. The subsequent flurry of transfer activity demonstrated that it quickly formed a view of what was required, and doubtless Bill Bancroft was equally forthright about the need to trade within a challenging budget. The cliché has it that great teams are founded upon a strong spine. Whether or not you subscribe to that theory, Lee already had an excellent keeper in the shape of Roger Jones 
and he soon added Graham Hawkins in central defence, Graham Oates in central midfield, and the man who spawned the best ironic Ewood chant of all time, Ken Beamish, up front. Further signings would be added during the season. No transfer windows as such back then, kids, and the likes of Andy Bergen, Mick Hickman, Jimmy Mullen and Bobby Hoy would all have important roles to play. This was soon Lee's side, and the Omens were good. A single defeat in the opening 12 league games indicated that Rovers were finally a force to be reckoned with at this level. It was during the 1974-75 season that Rovers played what many of my generation would argue is the greatest game they've ever seen at Ewood. Due to a quirk in the fixture schedules, Rovers would meet Plymouth Argyle twice in less than a fortnight. The first game at home park saw Plymouth take the points in a 2-1 victory. The return at Ewood would prove to be a milestone fixture in the club's history. Plymouth travelled to Ewood as league leaders. Just two points for a win back then, of course, but a victory would return Rovers to the summit of a tightly congested table. My vantage point for this game was in the front row of the Nuttall Street stand, just behind the visiting director's box, and the then England manager Don Reavy was an interested spectator. Kit nerds out there would also recall that Rovers wore white shorts with red and blue stripes for the first team that season. Plymouth raced into a two-goal lead, and the expectant crowd was shuffling restlessly. A potential route back into the game via penalty was spurned by Don Martin and the traditional rumbles in the home support were starting to proliferate. A lifeline just before half-time saw Martin make amends with what would now be classed as an assist as Bemo pulled one back. This was just an aperitive for what would follow in the second half. In a power display of total football, two goals each from Don Martin and Mick Hickman completed what was in effect a 45-minute rout. Rovers ran Argyle ragged. In the Argyle lineup that afternoon was Jim Fernell, later a coach at Rovers, Bobby Saxton, later a manager, Colin Randall, signed by Saxton for Rovers in 1982, and Chorley-born Paul Mariner, who would later win the Cup with Ipswich and play for England, amongst his many accomplishments. Rovers would eventually seal promotion with a home victory against Chesterfield on 19th of April and the title was confirmed with a goalless draw under the Ewood floodlights on Monday the 28th in front of more than 21,000 spectators. Gordon Lee had transformed the team, building a side with a strong work ethic but no little skill to take the divisional title. That comeback win over Argyle proving ultimately to be vital. Within two months Lee was gone so were Jones and Oates, and a short but memorable era was over. Gordon Lee's divisional title would be the last that Rovers would win for 20 years. Lee's death in early March rekindled those memories of a wonderful season and a short, albeit sweet, managerial interlude in Rovers' history. But it also took me back to Wroxham on a sunny day back in 1975. Thanks for the memories, Gordon. Rest in peace. Hello there, you're listening to the BRFCS podcast, and this bit is simply a mechanism to assist the editing together of two different parts. Sorry to let daylight in upon magic, 
but there it is. It's my great privilege to welcome to the BRFCS podcast the author Michael Hodkinson. Michael wrote a, a quite an epic tome, actually, called No Nay Never, which is a history of Blackburn Rovers versus Burnley, a fixture which, of course, is uh, is on all our minds, given the, the impending clash on the 13th of November. So, uh, it, Michael, it's great to have you on the podcast. Uh, how's things going from your perspective? Are you looking forward to the game? Well, of course, yes. I mean, it's six and a half years since the last league game. We had that uh, League Cup game, of course, thrown in at the beginning of August uh, uh, in 2017. But uh, it's six and a half years since what you would call a proper match between the two clubs. So, yeah, you've got to be excited, haven't you? Absolutely. I think there's, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, it's pent-up anger or pent-up frustration, probably probably on both sides. But uh, I don't think I'm being unkind. I don't think I'm giving anything away, given given the, the nature of the content in the book, by sort of saying your, your, uh, your football history spans many decades. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you first fell in love with, with football and perhaps uh, how you first uh, fell in love with Rovers more to the I mean, I'm I'm 76, so obviously I, I go back a fair way, and um, it was in the early, very early 50s that uh, we had we had our uh, our great grandfather was actually living with us. Uh, you know, I don't think they had um, homes for old people in those days, <laughs> and uh, he was a football fanatic, and 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 I think by about the age of six, I knew all the clubs in the what was then the first division and so on. Um, not that the Rovers were in it then; they, they, they were in the second division. But um, I, I then did, disco- did discover, um, because the, the, the um, Newcastle Arsenal FA Cup final of 1952, my, my, my dad came home with, it with a, a little bit of a pullout from, from one, of, one of the newspapers. And it, it actually showed some pictures of the semi-finals and, and who should be playing in the semi-final and, of course, who, who lost after a replay to, to Newcastle were, were Blackburn Rovers. And um, that 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 certainly helped helped to get me going in that direction. Yeah, I, I, I was born, brought up, educated, etc. In Darwin, so at that time, I mean, there, there was never any doubt which club I would support. Um, everybody I knew seemed to support the Rovers, and um, it it was 1954 before I actually sort of got onto the ground. My, my mother, who was pretty careful of her, of her only child, um, but she she, uh, she let me go to, to watch Darwin on several occasions. Um, but uh, it was in April 1954. A, bit, a massive game, actually. I think it was the 10th the biggest crowd there's ever been on, on, on Ewood. It was Good Friday. And uh, Leicester and the Rovers were sort of head-to-head as to who should go up then. Everton sneaked in, in fact, went up. And although the Rovers won on Good Friday, they, they then lost at Leicester on Easter Monday because, of course, all the games in those days, Good Friday and Easter Monday were, were reverse fixtures. Yeah. And uh, and the Rovers just just missed out by, by an odd point or so. But that that was it. I mean, I was hooked then. Uh, you know, the, 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 there was no going back. And uh, and it's been like that ever since. I, I taught in, in Darwin for, for many years and, and, and I, be, I became... Um, uh, well, a, a town team manager of Darwin, and then Darwin and, and, and Blackburn amalgamated in 1974. And so it was the, the Blackburn and Darwin town team. And, and we, we really had quite a big organisation going then. And I ended up as, uh, as as town team secretary. And and, and that, that, that kept me going a while. And of course, the, 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 the team played in blue and white halves. And another link with the Rovers, of course. And uh, 
And, and then I also got involved with Lancashire schools as well. I was treasurer for Lancashire schools for 30 years. And, um, and, and I ended up on the, on the National Council of the English Schools FA. Um, I, I had a blazer with a, a three lions badge on it. So, you know, <laughs> so something. Which meant, I mean, all that time, you know, it, it, the Rovers were, were very, very important to me. But I, talking to, to other people nowadays, I, I, I come across people who seem to have seen a, a heck of a lot more Rovers games than I did because I, I was sort of involved, really, in... Um, in in, in 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 other um, aspects of the game, yeah. Um, but but I still, I, I mean, there wasn't a season going that, that went by without me getting on Ewood. I don't know, maybe a, a minimum three or four times, but but often more than that. But but obviously, you know, it, the, 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 these schoolboy things had to take precedence. When I finished teaching in, um, in just after. Um, the, the 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 millennium a couple of years after the millennium came in a, a guy called jeff taylor who was in charge of the it wasn't an academy then at burnley it was a center of excellence jeff had had boys who were who had both played for the blackburn and door and door and town team that they, they went to queen Elizabeth's grammar school actually and i got to know him quite well and and when, when he found out that i finished teaching he said do you fancy sort of doing some work at burnley and so i <laughs> this the dark is, side <laughs> yes <laughs> A strange thing to ask somebody, really, but um, I, I said, yeah, and, and, and I, I, for, oh, I don't know, maybe six, seven years or so, I, I, I scouted for Burnley, um, not, not, not at, um, at senior level, but it's, uh, at, at all, all, all the junior level, really, Yeah. Um, go, going out often just to look at lads who were at, at, at other clubs, at the academies, at places like, I mean, the Rogues were very big then. Yeah. Uh, at, I remember being on Platt Lane, which was then where, where, where the Manchester City Academy was, and uh, Bolton, who were extant in, the, in those days. And, you know, sort of hiding behind trees and things like that, really. And uh, <laughs> quite quietly asking parents, uh, you, know, you know, who's that lad there? And that, you know, that, that yeah, type yeah, yeah. of thing, really. Not, I wanted to reveal myself. Yeah. Yeah, very much. Yeah, uh, and so and, and I enjoyed that. And but then we, we we then went to live in France then for for about thirteen years. So that that was the end of the of the Burnley thing. But all, all, although you know I, I have quite an affinity with Burnley, and and uh, I'm not sure that uh, that your listeners will want to hear this, but but uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, have quite, I have quite a lot of respect for them. But there's absolutely no doubt that um, they, they they never really came particularly close to sort of taking over the number one spot for me it was it was always the road that's 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 good to hear my uh, my maternal grandparents uh, had a shop in Paddyham and my grandfather was uh, was always a, a Burnley supporter and uh, I can remember as a child being bought scarves bob hats sabutio teams and on one famous <laughs> occasion he, he did actually buy me a Burnley shirt and I said thank oh. you very much for the Aston Villa shirt because <laughs> in those days of course there were no sponsors or badges or anything no. like that it was just a generic no. claret and blue so if I wore it it was West Ham or Aston Villa it was it was <laughs> yeah. never ever Burnley yeah but occasionally you had to as a sop to your granddad you had to put this shirt on, but he took me to Turf Moor. I think my, I think my, one of my earliest memories was just after the cricket field standard opened, 
And I can remember going in there, and I, you know, I stood on the, I think the be all end again as a small boy. But like you sort of say, I was going to it as a football match. There was never, there was never the remotest possibility of my changing my allegiances. But no. uh, like you, I have that, that more all round perspective that, that there's probably more to the rivalry with having uh, having close family that uh, that sort of like span both both sides of the divide, as it were. So who who were your favourite Rovers players then when you did get down to Ewood? Who was it who quickened the heart when you saw them play? Well, until I was 18, so it's West University, um, I, it, I, I mean, I saw, I saw a lot of games um, then. And, uh, I mean, Brian Douglas just stood out a mile yeah. then. I mean, he, he would, we even wrote a song about him at school. And we, we, he, he, was, he was an unbelievable player, really. And no, he's not a size at all. You know, he, he's about five, six, something like that. And yeah. Yeah, tough as old boots, and uh, he he had this amazing acceleration over about five yards. Like, like I suspect Stanley Matthews. I only saw Matthews once, but but I think Stanley Matthews had that as well. You know, he could sort of almost stroll up to somebody and whoosh, he was he was away from them. Yeah. Um, and, and 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 Dougie had that as well. And of course, there, there was Ron, I mean Ronnie Clayton. I mean, my dad used to say about Ronnie Clayton, he, he, he covers every blade of grass in in a ninety minutes. You know, I mean, he was everywhere. Was Ronnie Clayton? I mean, he was a, just a superb player. But it, but it was Dougie who had who, who, who got the scent, the pulses racing, really. You know, because when he had the ball, you know, you, it, it, it was a different world when he had the ball. I think anybody who saw him play, uh, I never saw him play in a Rover shirt, though I did see him play alongside Ronnie Clayton and Roy Vernon for Great Harwood. Course, oh, back, right. back in the day again, that was another thing to take and take it to a midweek game under floodlights, probably at the age of about five or something like that. Uh, and being yeah. told this was part of my footballing education that I ought to be aware yeah. of these players and their history and their importance and all the rest of it. I think somewhere in my program collection, I've still got a great Harwood, uh, a great Harwood program with, with those names on the team sheet. But uh, no, yeah. I, think, yeah. I think, yeah, Doug, Douglas and Clayton, obviously, with the stands named after them, they are and always will be Rovers legends and all the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. But but I also saw, saw um, Tommy Briggs score seven goals as well at the Rovers uh, against Bristol Rovers. Yes, uh, it's unbelievable that. Um, and they, they were losing three two at half time, and they won eight three. <laughs> <laughs> That's like one of those famous Boxing Day sixty three results. That isn't it? Where, so, where all the, the goals get flying in and it's brought up every year. At, uh, as a... Oh yeah, yeah. What a day that was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, yeah. this no nay never. Um, was was originally published last year, but but tell us a bit about the genesis of the idea because I, I think I'm writing saying this was your first book. I don't know whether there are yeah. any more in the pipeline. We'll get into that in a second. So what what prompted you to write the history of the Rovers Burnley rivalry? I've got to say I, I don't. There's no definitive answer to that really. It was just that um, I, I've, I mean with having an interest in both clubs, and, and I've always been a little bit of a statistical sort of bored as well, really. And um, and and I think I was sort of looking at the, the statistics of, of various things, you know, who most play, who would play most games for for both clubs and and, and all that type of stuff. And yeah. uh, and then I suddenly thought, yeah, you know, let, let, let let's give this a go. And uh, oh, I I made a couple of muck ups really, um, early doors, and in fact, um, I, I, I I virtually gave up and started again. And, and and the second one, I, I got to about seven hundred pages, and and and, uh, <laughs> right. and, and by then I, I I I got myself a publisher. He said, "You can't publish a you know you can't publish a book that much." So, 
be limited me to five, four fifty maximum. Actually, I, I, it was about four hundred and eighty in the end, but uh, he accepted that. But but that that thing was it. I won't say it was accidental, but it, it there wasn't there was no grand design in it really. Right. Um, so the project grew organically as you, as you sort of started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just kept <laughs> just kept growing. <laughs> It's like Jack and the Beanstalk, really. You know, it kept growing and growing and growing. And how did you go about securing interviews with players? At what point did you think it would be really good here to embellish it with um, with a player anecdote? Well, well into it, really. Uh, and and I've got to say, really, that that um, it was somebody at Burnley, really, who did me a lot of favours there. A, a lady called Veronica Simpson, I think from memory yeah who, who, who is i think she's the secretary of the ex-players association all right and she she was tremendous she she would just give these people a ring and say do you want to talk to such you know this, this guy and 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 then if when they said yes and, and and i think um there was only one who didn't say yes and and um that then she she contacted me and said this is a phone number give me a ring sort of thing and uh, brilliant and, and and it took off from that now on the road with the I never. Oh, I mean, the the Rovers club was very were, was very good to us, particularly in picture photograph wise. But uh, I, I, I never, I, and I never actually had any contact with somebody of that status at the Rovers. But I knew quite a few people. I'd, I'd, I'd done some work with Derek Fazakli at one time, for yeah. example, and I, I knew Brian Douglas's son. Yeah. Um, you, you know, and, and picked up a few like that, and then and, and Andy Bays also was um very very you know from radio lancashire was very very helpful indeed and he, he he got me in touch with a few people people like gary boyer for example yeah and a guy called ronnie jepson who who, who played at um at burnley um a friend of mine he, he used to go in the same pub as as, as ronnie uh, and um and, and and ronnie got me people like kevin ball who Oh wow, what a what a person he is, you know. Um, well, we will we will come on to that. Absolutely, that's on my list of things to talk to you about. Yes. Who was the best interviewee? Who was the person that sort of was most free with their conversation when you were interviewing? I mean, Steve Kinden apparently was uh, was quite tremendous. Really, he didn't he didn't care what he said. Um, what well, what I found out about this, I mean, I mean, particularly comparing something like Gary Boyer with with Steve Kinden. I mean, Gary's still in the game. Yeah. And so. Gary and, and Derek Fazakli was as well. I don't, I'm not quite sure if he's still at Oxford or not, but but he was at Oxford then as a I think assistant manager, and 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 they're very very careful what they say. Absolutely, yeah. Know. But um, but people like Steve King and Paul and Paul Fletcher was brilliant as well at Burnley. Yeah, I mean, they didn't give a damn really. You know, they just. <laughs> shot from the hip sort of thing. You know? I think there's a few players of that generation as well that do the after dinner circuit. And I think yeah. they, they always seem to have sort of like a, a stock of anecdotes that they can pull out at, uh, oh, at yeah. leisure, as, yeah. as, you, as you sort of say. Well, we had Derek on the podcast, actually, um, dur during lockdown, uh, and he was still at Oxford then. So I think he may have retired now, but it was it was, it was a fascinating having a chat to him because he, he started playing for Rovers probably just about the time I started watching Rovers. And so it was, it was a nice overlap. I, I could actually talk to him, having seen the whole of his career and, of course, being the record appearance holder. He's, uh, he will always hold a place, I think, in Rovers' hearts oh, and all the rest of it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. no. And, and he's, he's a very nice guy as well. He, no, no, no big-headedness to him at all, you know. 
Yeah. Well, the the book is 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 the way that you weave the interviews in is fantastic because I think that that really brings it to life. So rather just sort of being a third person recollection or it being a reference book, uh, I think yeah the, the anecdotes that come out and uh, well, well well let's talk if I may if I, if you'll indulge me in two of my favourite uh, favourite derbies, they're both Rovers victories not not surprisingly but my my earliest derby memory is the the Boxing Day nineteen seventy seven encounter. Um, three yeah, nil up at yeah. half time and absolutely coasting. What What's your recollection of it, and, and from what you wrote in the book about that game, Michael? Uh, there's a quote from Gordon. I didn't speak to Gordon, but, but I, I picked up a quote from somewhere by him who said that the the first half performance by the Rovers that day was probably the best of it, of almost any game he'd ever played in. Uh, um, and then <laughs> suddenly, um, it, 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 well, I don't know if they went to sleep at half time or what. But, you know, Peter Noble was a real thorn in the side of the Rovers at that time. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm pretty certain that, that, that Peter Noble sort of was um, involved in, in Burnley's comeback there. He was. You know, he, yeah. I mean, he was somebody who really, really seemed to know how, how, how to get under, under the Rovers player's skin. I mean, a tremendous player. You know, the sort of player who I, I used to think, yeah, I wish he was at the Rovers, really. Well, one, one, one of the quotes that you have in the book, which I'll read out of a mate, is the one that you say from Gordon Taylor. And he said, I've played in some fairly tasty derbies like Birmingham City against Aston Villa, but the 45 minutes against Burnley on Boxing Day 1977 was absolute nirvana. We were 3-0 at <laughs> half-time. I missed a penalty to make it 4-0, but football being what it is, Burnley fought back to make it 3-2, and we thought the whistle was never going to blow. Well, I can assure you, Gordon, you weren't the only one who thought the whistle was never going to blow that day. But it, that was, uh, again, I was... With it being Boxing Day, we had a family party uh, scheduled for, for early evening and half my family being Burnley supporters and half being Rover supporters. It just made it for the perfect introduction to the evening from my perspective. But that was, that was uh, I say, one of my favourite earlier memories. The, what, the other one, we've already alluded to it, and let's, let's get into the Kevin Ball anecdote. So I think season 2000-2001 was when the, um, the rivalry was rekindled again. Um, and yeah. that, that match at Turf Moor, uh, it was on Sky. And uh, yeah, Ke- <laughs> Kevin Ball, I think, um, wanted, wanted people's views on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can I just say on, on, on that, I, I, I was offered a ticket um, by, by, by Jeff Taylor at Burnley to yeah. go to that game. And uh, I, I, I turned it down. I, I, I mean, I wanted to go, but I thought there's no way I'm going to sit with Burnley supporters. You know, because that's obviously it was, yeah. it was in the yeah, <laughs> with your yeah. hands in your pockets. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then, so I remember watching it on television, and and, and it, it was possibly the only time in my life where, where I just wondered slightly who, who I really wanted to win. Just, 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 just for sure. Well, oh, I'm talking about minutes here. Yeah. And and the mate we, we didn't have Sky at that time, and the mate of mine said, "Come round and watch it on Sky." And I went round, and as soon as I sat down, I knew, I knew, I knew I wanted to win. I wanted the Rovers to win. You know, it was almost as though sort of, um, I don't, I don't know. There must be fifties, late fifties. Um, uh, it, it was almost as though sort of, um, you know, ne- nearly fifty years of following the club was weighing down on my shoulders and saying, you know, you know, you're going to support here, don't you? Absolutely. You know? Yeah. 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 
Well, the the turf, the turf Moore encounter, of course, was um, it, it it ended two nil. But that that Kevin Ball's tackle on David Dunn takes up a, a large chunk of that chapter because you, you managed to speak to Kevin. So, what, what oh, were your yeah. recollections of that interview and, and what Kevin said to you? Oh, I, I mean, it was tremendous, um, and, and he, he didn't pull any punches. Um, uh, and <laughs> I remember him saying that um, he, he he said it was a long, long walk back when he got sent off. Um, he, he swears he went for the ball, um, <laughs> <laughs> but he said it was a long, long walk back because of course, well, you know where where, where the dressing rooms are at Surf, yeah, yeah. And and I think I, I I think I think the the foul took place in you know in the, in the other half of the pitch, and uh, he, he said that the 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 Burnley fans were all cheering him. He said, but of course the Rovers lot were in the um, in the cricket field then. And he, he said, he said I was being spat at and all sorts of things as I walked off. And he said, and how I, I kept my temper, I don't know. Major incident on his hands. Can have no complaints about this sending off. It was wild. It was reckless, and that certainly could have done damage. Play, were you disappointed with the sending off? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it wasn't intentional. The ball was there to be won. He's turned into me, um, and I think it was more of a clash of shins than anything else. And then um, he said, on my way home, he said, I, I rang home, he said, and, and my son answered the phone, and he, and he said, my, my son always supported me in, in what I've done on the football field. And he said, Dad, he said, I thought it was a fair tackle. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and he said, yeah, well, okay, all right, yeah, put your mum on. <laughs> and, and, and he said, he said to his wife, he said, what, what, you know, what did he think of the tackle? She said, tackle? She said, "I'm I'm amazed you've come home. I thought you'd be in the in the prison, you know, for that battle." Borderline he assault, said, yeah. But he he said, you know, he said he's been done it on several occasions, and 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 they have a laugh about it. And 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 this is one of the things that, that comes across from from talking to so many of these footballers about the rivalry. Most of them say that when it's a derby, not not that in in, in many respects it means more to them because every game is important to them. But he's but because the 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 atmosphere in the town builds up and builds up yeah. in the week before. Yeah, he said you, you you know you can't help thinking that it's a more important game than any of the others. And 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 if they have any local lads in the side, it's them who sort of g up the rest of us. They they, they, they all seem to say that this is the case, but so many of them say. But, you know, after the game, that, that's it. I, I mean, do, do, do the players still go for a drink together after the game? I, I don't know whether they do or not now, do they? I th- yeah, um, yeah I, think it, I think that's one of those, a bit like cricket. I think cricket just about hangs on to it, um, where, where players at the end of a test match maybe will, will go into one dressing room or whatever. But I think, well, so, yeah, the players lounge and all the rest of it. The players, the yeah, waiting yeah. these days, they just seem to be showered, changed straight on the coach and away, don't they? You don't. I, I thought that was okay. Yeah, yeah you don't yeah. really seem to get those those same sort of stories coming out anymore. But to, to your point about the locals gene them up, I think that was David Dunn's role, wasn't it, at that time? Sort of like he was, yeah. the, he was the fans' representative in the team. To explain just yeah, how important yeah, yeah. that this this yeah. was going to be, 
And I think that yeah. that's going to be an interesting thing to see what happens, of course, with this season's encounters, because Rovers at the moment have got such a fine crop of academy players coming through, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. likes of the Wharton brothers will certainly yeah, know all exactly. about this. <laughs> I just hope we can yeah. keep eleven people on the field because I think we'll need a full complement to, uh, to to come away with the result. But uh, it should be fascinating to see for sure. How do you yeah. think the nature of the rivalry has changed over the years that you you've seen those encounters? One of the games that sticks most in my memory is the 1960 um, FA Cup, the sixth round FA Cup game yes. at, at, at Turf Moor. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced I was the first person on the ground there. We, we'd been playing football in the morning at, at St Theodore's School, in, um, which is a good footballing school in Burnley in those days. And I was playing for Dawn Grammar School. And, and, and um, several of us stayed on afterwards, went to the chip shop and so on. And, 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 and I remember they opened the turnstile. And, and I'm at, I swear I was the first one on the ground, and and so and that was about half past one, and so um, what 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 we did for an hour and a half, God only knows really, but um, it was such an amazing game. I, I mean, we were we were dead and buried. We were three 0 down with fifteen to go, and um, then the, the ref gave this, and and even we thought it was a bit of an un, a, a bit of an unfair decision, really. Let, for 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 the for the handball situation in those days nowadays of course it was a straight hand ball but Alex Elder went to kick the ball and I mean the the pitches though in those days they weren't the bowling greens that they are now no, no, and, and he must have just sort of caught the touch of a divot and went off the side of his foot and and he had his arms out you know to for balance to as, as he, he was looking for distance you know to, to knock it long and, and then and it flew from the side of his foot on onto his hand and um <laughs> I've got a friend who's, who's a big Burnley fan, and and even now he, he he can't really say the name of that referee without wanting to speak. <laughs> really, he was he's he called Mister Hunt from Portsmouth. I can still I can still picture him saying his name. He's said it so many times over the years, and uh, and 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 Dougie slid it in. He never really blasted his penalties, didn't Dougie? Yeah, he sort of you know sauntered up and going this way and that way and then uh, I suppose he, he waited slightly for the for the keeper to sort of you know put his balance put his weight on one side and then he, he just slide it in the other side yeah and that was three what three one but there's, there's still with with you know less than 15 minutes to go you still thought no nah, we, we, we can't do it and then Dobin who uh, Dobin was it was it was a quite incredible player he had, he had this unbelievable balance and pace and uh, and he struck the ball so beautifully and um and then he crashed one in from uh, 25 yards and it was down to the last minute or two and uh, nick mcgrath the 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 irish left half um who would actually earlier in the cup run against blackpool had um scored from well, if I said the yard out, I might be exaggerating, really. But um, it, there was this—I was on the down end, and this happened at the Blackman end. But um, it was like a scrimmage, really, in the in, in the Black. I'm sure there were 21 people at least in the Blackburn penalty area, and, and McGrath sort of not managed to poke it in. Yeah. And lo and behold, he, he did the same at Turf Moor, and and, and got us the draw. But the, oh, the, the atmosphere was amazing in that game, and I, I can picture so so many aspects of it. I mean, that, John John Connolly, who, who, who we played on the right wing for Burnley, he was a thorn in the Rovers' side. He he was so quick, and um, and McElroy, 
McElroy was as much of a genius as Douglas, really. McElroy, his slide, slide rule passing guy was McElroy. And he, he, he put it into his stride all the time. And uh, poor Dave Whelan, you know, the guy. Yeah. Apparently he broke his leg in the cup final. I don't think it's ever mentioned, is it, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But John Connolly, of course, later to play for Rovers. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he played for four seasons, I yeah. think. I think. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I think he, he was in the squad when I first started watching. Really. Obviously, he was in the World Cup '66 squad. But let's let's just 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 talk about. I think we have to just to, to cheer up any Rovers fans listening to this. The uh, the Ewood match in 2001, which of course I think I think I'm right in saying that Stan Turdent referred to Rovers as uh, as being a Ferrari. Um, with the amount of, of money that um, that Sunas yeah, have been yeah. able to, to spend on the side and all the yeah, rest of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you, you interviewed a number of players, um, including, I think, Matt Janssen and Craig Short around the, those games. What, what was, mm. what's, your, uh, what's your recollections of that encounter? Because I think it's probably one of the, one of the all-time Rovers legendary games now. Well, I, I, they, they were just a, a cut above Burnley. I, I mean, they did... They, they, they they went on this magnificent run that that season with the Rovers and um, they, they they never caught Fulham full I think it was yeah, full, yeah it was, Fulham yeah, yeah. Fulham won yeah. um, and and, and uh, I think I think they won I don't know I, I might be exaggerating when I say ten points but they won by quite a distance but the but the Rovers it was Fulham the Rovers and 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 Bolton we were miles ahead of everybody else in the league and the, and the Rovers sort of. Uh, went went past Bolton in the end and and finished second, but um, I mean they, they they had a good side then did the Rovers. People like Janssen and Duff and Dunn were just sort of beginning to mature into extremely talented players, and uh, and, and 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 it was quite one sided. But the 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 first two Rovers goals were, were almost sort of comic really. Um, and, and and at first they were both given to to Craig Shaw. Yeah, yeah. And 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 he, he, I interviewed him and he said to me, he said, "Thank God," he said that um, that that they gave the second one as an own goal. He said because I didn't I didn't deserve either of them really. I <laughs> said <laughs> they, they all count though, notwithstanding. But one of the one of the saddest. Um, interviews I, I had really was with Matt. So um, it, it was funny really because um, he summering ring at a certain time and, and we were we had we had to go somewhere and and, and um we, we were on the m62 on, on and i pulled into the services on the 62 and sat there and my wife was sat next to me and and for half an hour or more i, I, I was on to him and my wife was crying at the end yeah um it was such, such a sad story yeah. you know about um he i mean he, i don't know what ericsson was playing at really because ericsson had the the, the the last, I think it was the last Rovers game of the season. They were at Liverpool. That's right. And and um, and, and and his message to Sooness, Ericsson's message to Sooness was: make sure that Janssen doesn't sort of get hurt because he's going. He's going to Japan and Korea. And um, and 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 then he'd already got his major free suit and everything. And 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 apparently Beckham had a. Had a had a party for wives and wags or whatever, you yeah. know, and, 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 and he'd been to that. And then completely out of the blue on, on, on the day that, that, that the squad was announced, he, he wasn't in it. He put Martin Keown in because he apparently wanted to take extra cover at, at centre-back. And poor Matt was the one who missed out. And so he, he, 
and and, and his girlfriend was was doing the finals at, at, at some university and and her dad managed to persuade the powers that be at this university for for her to do her finals um i don't know in, in september or something like that so that she could actually go out to to, watch him. to the far east yeah yeah and um and and and, and when he couldn't go he, he they, they, they agreed they, they they wanted, they wanted, I think he wanted to get out the, out out of the country really to relax, and he, he went to Rome and uh, to you know sightsee and all that sort of thing. Hired a scooter, and um, this Italian taxi driver ran right in him, I smashed think into him. It's one of the saddest, as you as you rightly say, it's one of the saddest stories. But it's it's the very sort of definition of unfulfilled potential, I think, with Matt. Because he he, he said to me, he said, he, he said that. I was always a player who played on instincts, and, and I can remember this. Well, you you you'll have seen him as well. Yeah. Um, you, you know, he, he 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 just ran at people, didn't he? And whizzed past. You know, he's a dribbler, really, yeah. wasn't he? And as well as a good goal scorer as well. But he could dribble past people at pace. He said, "I never used to think what I was doing." He said, "I just did it naturally." Yeah. He said, "But when I came back, he said, and I don't know why, but he he, he, he said I, I suddenly started thinking about what I was doing." He said, and and I lost it really. Then he said, "Once I had to think what I was doing, I was nowhere near the player I was." Yeah, yeah. I think there's the, the such fine margins at the very top level of sport, uh, as you sort of say, even just a split second to think, "Am I going to knock it left or right?" Somebody will tackle mm-hmm. you, and you lose the ball. We well, again, I was fortunate enough, uh, fortunate enough to interview Matt for an early an early episode of the podcast. He was doing um, it was a, an evening with Matt Janssen down at Ewood, and I was able to meet him an hour before it was due to start. And we had a terrific conversation. He was such a lovely, lovely guy. It's it's still one of my one of, well, it is the favourite interview I've done I've done for the podcast uh, with with players. He was just he was so accommodating. It was really nice. But what could have been a real story? What could have been? And his book is an amazing read as well. That's that's a, 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 another terrific football book, Michael. Yeah. So. Yeah. This this book, it, it, as I say, it's an epic tome. You, you've alluded to its length, uh, and it is quality as well as quantity. Uh, I, I need to I need to emphasise. And the second Thank edition you. is now out. So uh, t- tell us about how successful it was in, in the first run, and uh, and what what's prompted you to to uh, to republish. Well, it, it it was totally successful in that we sold every. Well, I mean, we maybe gave one or two away. You know, I mean, I, I had. A, couple of copies you know and i gave to my sons and you know things like but but really we, we sold absolutely sold out um and i know the the burnley club shop for example said it it was their their, their best seller last christmas yeah and uh, and and, the, and the, it sold out in no time at ewood as well and um i, I mean i suppose thinking trying to sort of get inside a publisher's head um what they don't want is is having a um I don't know a garage or something or whatever full <laughs> full of books. Um, you know they 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 want to sell as many as Keep they the can. They don't, want to, yeah. they don't they don't want to be lumber with them. And and I, he, I, he was kicking himself afterwards that he, he he'd only ordered a thousand. Yeah. And um, and so we talked about it and 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 we said well let's see what happens. Let's see if the Rovers and Burnley are going to be in the same league next season. Yeah. And. Well, yeah, yeah, but but also at one point we thought they were going to both be in the first, in in the Premier League. Yeah, um, wouldn't that have been something? Yeah, 
you know, there really was were, were three choices. Really, yeah, yeah. He, he could have been, you know, he, so, well, the four choices really because the Rovers could have, could could have, have been in the Premier them. League. Really, you know, yeah. Um, and so we, we I had. It's funny. I had to rewrite it um, a little bit because you know there'd be references like it. it, it I don't know, it's now sixty three years since this, this happened. But of course, it's now sixty-four years yes. since it happened. So I had, to, I had to go through every word, really, <laughs> see if there's anything that we one, needed yes. amending. <laughs> uh, um, and 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 also, we decided that we obviously didn't have the the original, didn't have the twenty-one, twenty-two season. Yeah. But so, so I, I wrote that as well. So it, it's actually it's actually now. Um, I think it's almost five hundred pages now because so it's um, even extra it, it, value for money then in that case. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's available at Legends Publishing. Uh, we'll put a link to the to the website in, in the store notes, but it's legendspublishing.net. Uh, and if you go through there, you'll see the full catalogue that Legends Publishing have, and they've they've got quite the range, I have to say. But of course, the book is uh, is no nay never, uh, and I'm sure that'll be flying out uh, of. Um, for ready for Christmas, of course, this year, whether it sells better in Blackburn or Burnley possibly depends on the result on the thirteenth of November. Maybe, yeah, the, the loser will not want to be reminded uh, of sort of the rivalry for a little while, anyhow. But it's it really is it's 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 a terrific read, and there's some great photographs in there as well. You've alluded to the fact that uh, that you you've been able to get your hands on some, and, and that that for me was, was probably one of the one of the nicest bits was being able to see some of my old heroes, particularly from the seventies and eighties. Um, right, yeah. With photographs yeah. that previous perhaps would only have been in uh, in the Lancashire Evening Telegraph as it was back then or something like that. So I can heartily recommend it. Michael, thank you very much uh, for joining us. It's it's been a real pleasure chatting. Yeah, you're welcome back anytime. So when the third edition comes out, or if you want <laughs> if you want to write a match report after the 30th of November, I'm sure 4,000 holes would happily publish it. We'll certainly put it in brfcs.com's uh, article list. That would be terrific. But thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure, a pleasure beyond pleasure chatting uh, and on all the very best and obviously we'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed uh, for for this season's encounters yeah very much yeah yeah i mean it's it's, it's going to be a nervous time isn't it on the 13th of all too right yeah absolutely yeah i think it's it's going to be a no a no fingernails weekend that weekend and then of course we, we finish for the world cup and come back with a rivalry against preston so maybe there's an idea there's an idea for a book <laughs> Well, thank you, uh, thank you, Ian. Uh, it's, it's it's been great. It's been great talking. I just love talking football, anyhow, really. But it's it's great. Don't we all, to, yeah, 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 yeah. Fabulous. Well, thanks once back, again, back. Michael. Just beyond Hughes, it's touchback and in. Jason McAteer, after confusion in the Burnley defence from the long throw-in, and it's the visitors who've taken the lead. Well, this is an absolute mess. It really is, as far as Burnley's concerned. They just do not handle this throw-in from the initial challenge by Marcus Ben. But just really look at Cook. He really does allow the midfield player to get in amongst that particular area where... For financial reasons, the RFCS podcast needs a transition into a sponsorship message. This is that transition. You're looking for the perfect gift for a football fan, aren't you? In that case, you need to go to theterrorstore.com and search through the marvellous range of Rovers products. You'll see mugs, prints, 
bags and much, much more, all in the colours of your favourite team, Blackburn Rovers. And as you are a loyal listener to the BRFCS podcast, enter BRFCS at the checkout to secure a 10% discount. So on our previous BRFCS podcast, we interviewed Paul Worthington and Simon Burns talking about Rovers Return podcast, and they very kindly agreed to let us play some clips. And um, hopefully that will get you to uh, want to, to hear more from them about the decade that takes us on from 2001 through to, to 2012 and the, the Venkis takeover. Simon's with me. Simon, we're going to talk about episode two for a little bit. So tell us what this episode is all about. What does it cover? What are the highs and lows? This episode really kicks off with us with us back in the Premier League. It's Sunes at the helm and a really exciting young side with you know experience kind of dashed throughout as well. A very compelling prospect back in the Premier League. And ultimately it's it's taking stock of those first two seasons, which I think any Rovers fan would agree were pretty successful. Top 10 finish in the first season. Uh, top six in the second, Worthington Cup victory in the first season as well. So that's all great. But it's not just us reveling in how good we were, kind of cooing over Damien Duff and, you know, two guys' majestic performances. There is a lot of that. But also, it is also reflecting on the fact that there were lows as well as highs. So I think in the clip that we're going to hear, um, we, we get Paul's take on the... The, the robbery at Celtic Park, where we were denied a, a, I think any Celtic fan would admit, a perfectly deserving victory for Blackburn Rovers. Um, and that ultimately teed up our departure from the UEFA Cup that season. A real hammer blow because we would have won the Cup that season. So it, And who knows where that, that could have taken the club um, in the fullness of time. So there was the, the, the lows from a... From a results perspective and then from a signings perspective you can't not talk about Chicho Gravi I mean he was cool he was debonair he got some goals but ultimately <laughs> you're being very I generous think... you're being very generous <laughs> yeah I remember seeing successful. seeing Chicho uh, in a pre-season friendly at Port Vale and I, I see, this is not me being wise after the event because I don't think I was the only Rover supporter to make a similar observation. But it was along the lines of, if that lad makes it here, he won't make it here as long as he's got a hole in his backside. He just looked absolutely terrified every time a defender came near. But when he when he did eventually score, yeah, sure enough, I was up, up on my feet like everybody else. So that's that's a great introduction, Simon. Thank you for that. Let's listen to a clip from episode two of Rovers Returned. This is flying high forever and ever, and we're going to talk particularly here about the uh, the UEFA Cup exit, as we say. If you want to listen to the full episode, then just track down Rovers Return podcast on Apple or Spotify. 2001-2002. This was our first season back. So we'd finished second in then Division 1, uh, which people now know as the Championship, behind Fulham. And that was an optimistic time, right? We were we were back where we belonged. We had returned, hence the name of the podcast. Um, you know, Simon, as we think, I think about that first summer, you know, signings going into the season, kind of like, how would you kind of like describe and think about that kind of first phase of the of the season? I think it was um, a phase 
a phase of the season and a phase in the kind of history of the football club that was really characterised by optimism. I mean, there wasn't any kind of dreaded stagnation in the championship. There was a there was a, a, a kind of middling first season where we changed the manager halfway through. Soon as first full season in the in the champion, sorry, the the first division, um, automatic promotion, and it's like okay, we're back at, we're back in our rightful place as a as a contender in the Premier League, and um, I think that sense of optimism real really kind of typified by the signing of um, Corrado, aka Chichio Grabby, um, who uh, came with a came with a big reputation as the top scorer in Serie B, I believe, from the, the previous season. So, you know, the Italian Division One. Um, and it just it just seemed right. I mean, we were sponsored by Kappa, Italian, Italian striker. There was no more logic to it than that. But <laughs> apart from you well, apart from the fact that he he'd scored an absolute hatful in in um the second tier in, in Italy. And and going back to that that um that Barcelona friendly, um I believe if I don't know if he played that game actually because I think he did. If, he did if, play that game. He did. Yeah. yeah, because I remember seeing him early in the season. It might and if, if, if it was that game and he, he did an amazing. So obviously he didn't score because I mean as, as history shows <laughs> he never scored. <laughs> you know, he never scored, but he had a, a just amazing kind of turn and real flair. He was a kind of good-looking guy, and it was like yes this striker is going to really kind of lead us into the new age and kind of score the goals that will get us to the upper echelons of the table. Um, yeah. So I would say that I, I was just, it was just unbridled optimism really at, at that, at that time. But. Uh... Bent is already there. McAteer is driving forward in support as well, but he's done brilliantly here. Janssen. He's tried to do too much in the end. Signed, sealed and delivered. The Derby victory belongs to Blackburn. Well, when you're looking for your first goal for a new club, it doesn't matter how it comes. And really, Blackburn looked as if they'd missed the opportunity. Janssen trying to be too elaborate in the box. This is a wonderful strike, but that's a great follow-up header. And I think the 2-0 didn't flatter us. I think on the day we could have scored more, but it was um, a convincing win. And I think that's what pleased our supporters as much as anything. It wasn't just a win, that was a convincing win. Where's this fitting in for you, the comp- the, 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 this um, competition? He's going to West Ham and winning tonight and getting into round four of the of the League Cup. It, uh, where does that rate in terms of this week's fixtures? Well, I think we all know the answer to that. In terms of matches against teams playing in Claret and Blue this week, <laughs> it's number two. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. And I think the team selection reflects that. We, uh, we put something out on the BRFCS socials earlier this week saying, would you forgive... Uh, a weakened side being picked up. And I think of the uh, the hundreds of responses we had, uh, all but I think one or two said, absolutely, Sunday is the only show in town. 